The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. <coughs> Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David, by the Spirit, calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Good morning. And thank you very much for inviting me to be with you today. I'm grateful to share and learn about the good news with you this morning. I'm from St. Stephen's in the South End, and Trinity Concord is one of our longest-standing partners. And so many of you know about our programs, many of you know about our ministry, and many of you have already shared your time by tutoring kids or teaching music, or your talents by making lunches or knitting scarves and hats and mittens, or your treasure through your outreach grant to the youth programs of St. Stephen's or through individual donations. In other words, you have already shared the good news with the families of the South End, and on behalf of those families, I'd like to say thank you. So, thank you. If you're anything like me, this morning when you read the gospel or heard it just now, there was half of it that was extremely familiar and half of it that was a little bit um, stumping. Were you like that? So, I had a similar experience, and so what I'd like to bring you this morning is a sense of the themes of the readings, and also how they both um, comfort and challenge us. Because I found the themes of all of our readings this morning to be that the saints of our faith overcome great obstacles to bring the good news to others. So the saints of our faith overcome great obstacles to bring the good news to others. In Deuteronomy, we heard about Moses overcoming 40 years in the hot desert, a lack of food and basic necessities, the murmurings of his people always wanting to go back to Egypt where life was good under slavery, if you remember that. He brings his people to the brink of the promised land, and then he dies. But he was a great saint of our faith, and he overcame great obstacles to bring good news to his people. Paul, in his letter to the Christians of Thessalonica, speaks of the need for courage to declare the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. The opposition Paul faced was beatings, jail, and insults to his reputation. 
He overcame those obstacles to bring the people of his day and us the good news of the gospel. And Jesus, this morning, in what we heard from Matthew, faces the tests and the trick questions of the Pharisees. Because that's really what that, those two pieces are. Last week, if you remember, we heard the story of the coin that has Caesar's face on it. Another trick question about whether we should pay our taxes or not. This morning, we hear a trick question from the Pharisees to Jesus, trying to stump him into saying which of the 613 laws is the most important. If he had said that, it would have been a heresy, and they would have been able to, um, uh, you know, arrest him and uh, shun him. But he is able to uh, maneuver the question so that he gives us what we know and is so common to us in our faith, to love God with all of our heart, all of our mind, and all of our soul, and to love our neighbor as ourself. This is what we are called to do as Christians. These are the, this is the commandment, the great laws. And he, in turn, stumps them so that they go away and don't ask him any more questions because they realize that he has a wisdom beyond theirs. So Jesus overcame the attempts of the Pharisees to entrap him in a way that's somewhat similar to the, uh, Moses overcoming the desert and Paul overcoming jail. Ultimately, we know that Jesus was not entirely able to escape the entrapment of those in leadership and eventually he was arrested and crucified for his attempt to preach the good news. Now, for those of us living in the Boston area in Massachusetts in 2008, we are unlikely to face the heat of the desert or jail, perhaps, or crucifixion. But we may face busyness of our lives. We may face traffic. We may face work demands as we are called every day to make decisions about how we will overcome the obstacles in our life to preach the good news and bring the good news to others. And so as I started with thanks, I want to say that to the extent that you are already overcoming those obstacles and bringing the good news to others, either to St. Stephen's in the after school program or to the Be Safe program, which is what we run in the summer, or to other ministries of Trinity Concord, you too are a saint of your faith. So congratulations. So that would be a great sermon. I could stop right there. Everyone could feel good about their Christianity. But um, again, if you're anything like me, you know that being Christian is not an easy road. And we are not called to be comfortable or to only do um, what we've already done in the past. So I want to speak a little bit about what exactly the good news is that we're called to um, bring to others. And I also want to challenge all of us, including myself, about how we might be able to do more. Is that all right with everybody? So what is the good news that we're supposed to be overcoming obstacles to bring to other people? It's very simple. Love. That is the good news that we are hearing this morning, that we hear every Sunday, that we hear when we read scripture ourselves. God loves us. God loves us. It's hard to hear that sometimes. But because God loves us, we love God. That's why the first commandment is to love God with all of our heart, our mind, and our soul. Because God loves us first. We are forgiven, accepted, and loved. Because we're loved, we love God. And because we love God, we are called to love others. To love our neighbors as ourselves. To love our neighbors as God loves us and as God loves our neighbors. We know what we need to do to love God. 
We need to come to collective worship like we are this morning. We need to be in private prayer, read scripture, tithe, conform our life to the Christian gospels, and to be a witness to others. We might know what we need to do to love our neighbors, to have kind words, patience, helpful actions. These are uh, easy to say, but perhaps more difficult to do. But more difficult to do still when we begin to think about who our neighbor is and to expand our definition of who we are supposed to love when we love our neighbor. Your neighbors here at Concord, if you were to turn to the person next to you in your pew, might have concerns and worries about the economy or about jobs or about climate change or about the election or about cancer or health issues in their own lives. If you were to come where I am, if you were to turn to a young person who lives in Dorchester or Roxbury or the South End, I know what the number one concern would be. It would be violence. Secondarily, they'd be concerned about their schools. Their third concern might be about jobs and what they're going to do to make uh, their future better than some of the people they see around them. So let me tell you a few stories from the people that are my neighbors at St. Stephen's, the people with whom I work. If your neighbor was David, you'd know that his dad was um, a victim of gun violence when David was one. You would know that he has lived with his aunts and his cousins for the rest of his life. He's 17 now. You would know that instead of a life of bitterness and pain, he's managed to turn his life into one where he is a counselor in training, working with younger kids, where he has gone on mission trips to help those who live in the Gulf Coast rebuild after Hurricane Katrina. You would see someone who is overcoming obstacles to bring the good news to others as well as someone who's in need of the good news coming to him. If your neighbor was Stephanie, you would know that she was a student in South Boston High, an enormous school that has a lot of challenges of urban school systems. You'd know that she was a senior and desperately wants to go to college, but doesn't have the financial resources. Nor does she exactly have the support that she needs at her school, because in the Boston Public Schools, the ratio of guidance counselors to students is about 400 students to one. You'd know that she or her younger brother is struggling with some mental health issues, and that not only is she trying to help raise him, but she too is a CIT, a counselor in training, working with the younger people at St. Stephen's, trying to bring them the good news. If your neighbor was Jose, You'd know that he'd been participating in our program since he was in first grade. He's in fifth grade now. You'd know that he struggles, even though he doesn't always talk about it, he struggles with the pull of the streets and his peers and some of his family members pull against what he knows from his time at St. Stephen's is perhaps a better path, staying in school, not being involved in gangs, doing his homework. You'd know that Often he doesn't always win that battle of wills within himself. You'd know that when he's given a leadership role in his group, even in fifth grade, when he's asked to help clean up the kitchen or to be a line leader or to do other things, that he is able to bring the good news to others even though he is desperately in need of hearing the good news himself. And finally, if your neighbor was Rachel, you'd know a young woman who's an artist, 
who feels her feelings deeply, and she has a lot of them because her dad left the family a few years ago, you'd know that she doesn't speak English as her first language and her mom doesn't speak English at all. You'd know that she struggles, she thinks, she struggles with reading and confidence about reading more than the reading itself. But you would know that she too is struggling to find ways that she can serve as a leader and even though she's in fourth grade, that she um, wants to, to be part of a community where the good news is being preached. So, if you were connected with us, and some of you are, you would know these and many other young people as your neighbors. You'd know their stories, you'd be in relationship with them, and I think you'd be in love with them, and you would love them deeply, and your issues and concerns would change because of those relationships. Now, if you know a little bit about our programs, if you came to our adult forum, you'd know that our programs have grown dramatically in the last 10 years. We began with 20 young people in a summer program and about 15 in an after-school program. We're now serving 185 young people in two sites of an after-school program. And this past summer, we served 530 young people at six sites around the city and in Chelsea. Academic and enrichment programs that provide art, and music and sports and swimming, but most importantly, I think, bring a sense of love and care and safety and concern to our young people and where our young people can show that to each other. We've added programs for middle schoolers and high schoolers as elementary kids have aged into those categories. We've grown to new neighborhoods because the need is great in Boston, and I'm sure you know about this if you read the paper or listen to the news. Parents want this. In February and March, parents start calling, desperately trying to sign up their young people for our programs for the summer because they know that these are programs where young people can feel safe, can feel big, and can feel connected. In other words, where they can feel a sense of love, where they know that the staff are overcoming obstacles to bring the good news to their neighbors. And where 700 volunteers from 50 partner churches, including Trinity Concord, this past summer overcame traffic and gas prices and Costco runs and making scores and scores and scores of bologna and cheese sandwiches to bring kids food and nutrition and sustenance to bring love to the young people of the city of Boston. So I'm here to tell you that the good news is alive and well, and we need you. Because with more kids, we have more neighbors. And with more neighbors, we need more saints. We need more lunches. We need more money. It's true. But mostly what we need are more relationships. We need more love. We need your prayers, and we need you. Your knitting needles, your cooking, but we need you. So I invite you to come to meet your neighbors. And I invite you to think differently still about not individual neighbors like David and Stephanie and Jose and Rachel, but to think about neighborhoods. And I want to share one last story because I, I have a new hero or, or saint of the faith, and it's a man named Jeffrey Canada. I don't know if you've heard anything about him. He works in Harlem. He works in an organization called the Harlem Children's Zone. He's been doing it for about 
25 years or so. And there's been a lot of press about him lately because there's a new book out about him. Maybe you heard about it on This American Life, or maybe you read about him in the New York Times. But he's a hero and a saint to me because about 15 years ago, he was running programs about the same size that St. Stephen's is running programs now, serving about 500 or 600 young people. And he was unsatisfied. He was uncomfortable. He felt like there were obstacles to bringing the good news to more because he had waiting lists of as many young people as he was serving. And he began to think that his neighbor wasn't just the 500 young people that he was serving or the 500 young people on the waiting list, but his neighbor was the 500 young people around the sites that hadn't even signed up for the waiting list. And through a lot of hard work, and a lot of other people, and a lot of fundraising, he began to think not so much of neighbors, but of neighborhoods. And today, his program serves 97 blocks in Harlem and serves 10,000 young people in an interwoven net of multiple programs that serve kids from age zero to age 21 and beyond. And to me, this is an inspiration because it says to us that it's possible to build the kingdom, that it's possible to build the kingdom in Harlem, it's possible to build the kingdom in Dorchester and in Roxbury and in the South End, and that with the partnership of parishes such as yours and alive, vibrant, urban parishes that have their doors open Monday through Sunday, and not only on Sunday mornings, that we can actually fulfill those commandments that we heard this morning, to love God with all of our heart, all of our mind, and all of our souls, and to love our neighbors and our neighborhoods as though they were our own. Amen.